Well, hello there. So glad you're here. I hope you had a good summer. Oh, are we going to have fun this fall? And we're going to start it off right because today I'm talking to the incomparable Sarah McCartney. Not only is she funny as heck, which you'll see, but she's a woman who I admire deeply for her fiercely independent spirit and determination to frankly figure things out and just start doing it. So Sarah's done a lot of different things in her life, which we get into, but this conversation is particularly interesting because we get more deeply into the topic of language and describing smells. You know how much I love that. It's a really important topic that most of us are, frankly, terrible at, but Sarah has some great tips that can help us all. Let me tell you a little bit about my guest, Sarah McCartney, in case you don't know her. Sarah is a writer and indie perfumer based in London, England. She's the author of the novel, The Scent of Possibility, and the co-author of The Perfume Companion, The Definitive Guide to Choosing Your Next Scent. For over 14 years, she was the head writer for Lush. You know, those famous bath bombs. And we talk extensively about her time there and how that job influenced her later work as a perfumer. In 2011, she founded her own perfumery called 4,160 Tuesdays. She explains what that means. In 2019, she set up Scentthusiasm, the slow scent school on Patreon, to help other indie perfumers create their own scents. Sarah's received numerous perfumery awards. I'll mention just a few here. In 2017, she was a finalist twice in the Fragrance Foundation Awards Best Independent Fragrance and People's Choice with Mother Nature's Naughty Daughters, and also a finalist in the Fragrantica Most Innovative Fragrance and the only indie house in the top 10 with Oh My Soul, as well as winning Best Indie House by Cara Fleurbon. In 2018 and 2019, Cara Fleurbon also voted her hardest working perfumer. Oh, and importantly, like me, she supports the UK charity Fifth Sense, which we talk about as well. So sit back, get comfortable, and enjoy this feel-good, laugh-out-loud conversation with Sarah McCartney. This is An Aromatic Life, the podcast that aims to shed light on our beautiful sense of smell and increase its profile in a culture dominated by sight and sound. My name is Frau Gagalia. I'm a certified aromatherapist and smell coach who spent over 20 years in and around the fragrance industry. What I know for sure after all these years is that our sense of smell is powerful, yet is so underappreciated. There's so much we can do to harness our sense of smell to be well. So join me as I explore this mesmerizing sense from all different angles and learn what it can do for you. Enjoy the show. I want to welcome you to an aromatic life. Sarah, thanks so much for being here. Such a pleasure to have you. Well, it's lovely. I wish I could be actually where you are, but you know, this isn't too bad. The sun's shining, it's pretending. <laughs> I could tell you the same. I'd love to be in London right now. So here I am in California where this it's probably cooler here than it is there at the moment, but that's okay. Yeah, possibly. We have a 26 degrees centigrade, which I've forgotten, I've forgotten the Fahrenheit for, but it's hot. It's hot for hot yeah. for your standards. That's correct. <laughs> Excellent. Well, th thanks so much for being here. I think you and I have felt like we've known each other because we're both connected with Fifth Sense, which we'll talk about later on. But um, yeah. it's just such a pleasure to finally get to 
talk a little bit more in depth with you and get to know you a little bit better. And I think my listeners are going to really enjoy hearing a little bit about your story too, because it's a really interesting one. It's a different one. People come to perfumery in lots of different ways. And I'm really excited for people to hear how you can come to perfumery through the path that you've taken. The, the long route. Yes. Yeah. Well, I love talking about me. <laughs> so, <laughs> perfume. No, I love talking about what I do. And, and uh, I like to have my mind probed so I can answer questions in ways I haven't done before. So oh, it's a delight. Well, let's start with the, the one that I like to start with all the time. And I don't know. I'm curious to hear what your answer will be. But I always like to ask, what does the sense of smell mean to you? More than I think I realized, the more I discover about the aromas we pick up that we don't even register, they just reassure us that we are in the right place at the right time. Those are the things, the things, <laughs> oddly enough, we can't smell. At least we can smell, but our brain doesn't tell us that we're smelling them. That's becoming more and more important to me. Does that make some sense? Yeah, I, I think that's a really great answer because people are automatically connected to smells that come at them or that we're asked to kind of think about. But I like that answer because there's so much that's just below the conscious that's just around us all the time that we don't think about unless it's really sticking out and kind of yep. makes us uncomfortable. Yep. It's, it's the reassuring smells, the things that... Uh, even before we got involved with Fifth Sense, I was hearing that uh, people who whose sense of smell was not quite right or had left, they no longer could tell if people liked them when they walked into a room. And I started thinking about those aromas, those things which uh, the literally smelling an atmosphere. And they say, oh, there's a bit of a strange atmosphere in here. And it's quite often people who don't like you. You get a strange atmosphere when there's that kind of a feeling. Uh -huh. um, and that, I'm just particularly interested in that. I'm not sure how you make it, but perhaps those many things, if you see a GC analysis of rose, for example, and there are, you can recreate the smell of rose really well out of uh, 10 things. What about the other 290? What are they doing? Yeah. Maybe, maybe those little things are the things we can't uh, obviously smell. But they're the things which, when you smell a rose, actual real rose, make you feel reassured and calm and all the other things that ancient history claims that they do. And it's just that science hasn't found out how yet. So that's where I'm, that's where I'm particularly interested. If I won the lottery, I'd fund that research. Excellent. Yeah, there's so much still to learn. Oh, it's crazy. Um, let me ask you this, though, because obviously you smell a lot every day you're around people who smell things but just in your maybe in your personal life or walking around London do you think people are connected with their sense of smell more so if you'd asked me this you know two and a bit years ago I'd have said not really people still didn't think it was important but the people who lost it and got it back you know it's I feel like singing Joni Mitchell <laughs> don't know what you've got till it's gone yeah um but I won't uh, <laughs> uh but 
it wasn't perceived as anywhere near as important as people have started to realize. And if they've lost it and then they've got it back, it's like, you know, having your dog kidnapped and then found it's returned to you. I think yeah. it's, um, it came as a tremendous emotional wrench to people who lost it and is, is still for the people who haven't got it back again. So maybe that's just shaking things up and rattled this around a little. And so um, when they start to smell things like next door to me, there's a palm tree in bloom. Actually it took me about four years living there before I realized this aroma came from about, you know, 10 feet above my head. Ah, <laughs> so what yeah, yeah. amazing what is it and it's the palm tree next door and when this comes out every year just when the swifts come back from africa as well so we got birds speaking down the street at great speed and we've got this tree out and that to me is kind of everything i was waiting for in late spring summer i, I like to hope that people are starting to smell those things more around them now that they uh, appreciate them know that they're there it's it's, it's the sense of smell, it's, it's important, has been notched up quite a bit, I think, in yeah. things that are important to us in life. Yeah, I, 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 and I hope that continues. <laughs> yes. You can only hope yes. that continues. But can we just pause for a minute and say there's a palm tree in London? I find that yes. fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> I can send you a picture, genuinely. <laughs> I've got a magnolia in my garden. Okay. And next door there's a palm. And um, the first time I saw Magnolia, it was growing in the north of England, but by the heat outlet at the bio biology department at my university. This oh, is the wow. only place they discovered they could grow a Magnolia and keep it going despite the, the cold in the north of England. So, uh, yeah, the, the south coast of England's quite a few palm trees. They okay. don't get that tall. I mean, they're not California palm trees, as tall as a little house. Okay. okay. Um, but yeah, particularly around my area, you know how somebody in the 1960s must have said, oh, I like one of those for my garden. And somebody <laughs> else got one and somebody else got one. <laughs> and you just go to certain areas. There's one, there's a street in North London that just everyone has gala lilies, then the whole street. And you know I, that, oh, her garden looks nice. I'll have some of them. And this amazing smell of lilies just near the former Arsenal football ground. And around where we live, these palm trees come out once every year for about a month fronds of tiny white flowers the most one you can smell it down the street um and yes just just the, the appreciation of that i don't i don't see any other palms around huh. about i mean we don't get coconuts that doesn't happen <laughs> yeah 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 there yeah. are many palms no i think that's wonderful that's great when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so can mm -hmm. we take a step back to, to little yeah. Sarah? Can we start yeah, from the we? beginning? <laughs> I want to start oh, yeah. with your early years because I always like to ask if people were connected with their sense of smell when they were little and, and I don't know, were you when you were little? Where did you grow up, first of all? Oh, Northeast of England. So 
um, born in a place called Saltburn, okay. which is by the sea, and then grew, in, grew up in Redcar four years, moved to Durham, which is beautiful but cold, and then the uh, halfway between the Tyne and the Weir rivers, which is the north of England, northeast. Um, so, well, my mother was a very good gardener, and so we always had aromatic things around us. Ah. I've still got a plant in my garden that uh, it it came with us all the times that we moved house. Um, we rip a bit off and plant it, and it grows quite well. And it's an artemisia called Southery Wood, where I'm from. And I cannot be without Southery Wood in the garden. So, uh, and, and I've got about three plants at the moment. I need to plant a few more for just in case. <laughs> but it's the most, um, you brush the leaves and it is like nothing else. I, it's, it's a little bit like Divana, but not much. But the Artemisia is just amazing. I didn't, it took me ages to find out what it was, but that, the smell of um, flowering currants, so Ooh. they don't they don't make black currant, but they they this is the black currenty kind of smell. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we had the mock orange bush. So my my first scent experience, which I do actually recall because I have a stupid ridiculous memory, and I was two, and I was kicking off because my sister had been born, and my life was basically disrupted in ways that I couldn't imagine as is as is uh, the case for many of us as yeah. is the case yeah so uh, came along been, yeah I used to be very 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 good and I had a naughty day and the naughty day always oh, all kinds of things I did but I started off by squeezing orange juice out of my toy all over the kitchen table my parents thought the world had ended <laughs> but it finished with me going out to the mock orange bush which is it's a beautiful aroma they don't doesn't have oranges on it but it smells like orange flower oh. and I took the buds they liked it so much I shoved them up my nose as many as I could get so I could just smell this wonderful smell so then of course my mother found me these and I was hurled into the pram that's like the big stroller with my don't doubtless screaming little sister run down to the doctors where they like pulled the stuff out for me wow. so that Yep, that's my first serious experience of scent. Like, I like it so much, I'm shoving it up my nose. Um, <laughs> yeah, that happened. So this was inevitable. I yeah. love it. I love it. So even if you didn't know you were connected with, with scent, you were very easily. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. You I wanted to be that. so closely connected that I just had my own implants. So <laughs> uh, natural implants of orange flower. And then, you know, I, we did have a garden. We are lucky to have a little, I, I say garden. You'd call it a backyard, of course. A yeah. garden for you is massive. Ours yeah. about like four feet square. But this wasn't too bad. It had apple trees and things for us to climb on. And I did not take flowers and try and make perfume. I was absolutely determined to be a witch. A from witch? A very young age. Yeah, yeah, from about age six. Uh, so I was making potions. I wanted to make magic spells. Interesting. So that, that was my... Um, that, that's my inspiration, you know, for good, not evil. <laughs> Everything should be for good, not evil. That's right. Um, that's right. <laughs> but that's what I wanted to do. So cut up bits of privet hedge or sis three hexanol, as we now call it. Yeah. And um, 
you know, mash them all up. And, and then, then the next day they'd be gone. So I was convinced that the fairies had drunk them and they'd worked. Oh, yeah. But, but, bad thing. I went to a school, a little school between the age of four and seven. My mother taught there as well. And you know how every Monday you have to write, at the weekend I did this. Yeah. And so there was like seven-year-old me. I had written, at the weekend I made spells because I am a witch and so is my mother. <laughs> my, my teacher has stormed into the, uh, the staff room going, what's this about then? Because you've got your good God-fearing middle-aged uh, yes, junior yes. school teachers with proof that my mother was in fact a witch. Like, they had no sense of humor. So uh, she, she's, she's got a very good imagination. Right, And right. Uh, that, that is in fact the case. I do have very good imagination. But yeah, so that, that's my early days. Yeah, I was gonna say that, that imagination has served you well throughout life, I'm sure. Yeah, fortunately <laughs> it wasn't stamped on, it was encouraged. Good, good. Um, yeah, so tell me what was kind of your first Maybe we should skip to your first, I don't know, your first job. Did you think you were going to do anything with, with scent first off? Or what did you want to be when you grew up? Well, I mean, I was headed on the route for musician, really, except oh. that um, my school thought otherwise. Uh, this is not a mom versus dad thing. My dad wanted to be, me to be a musician because he was a very good piano player. I was playing clarinet and sax. My mom wanted me to go to Cambridge and do maths because she has a friend who had three sons who went to Cambridge to do maths and she wanted one. Um, so I was kind of split between, I didn't go to Cambridge to do maths because that's not the kind of brain I have. Um, <laughs> so uh, I, uh, if I could do it all over again, I wouldn't give up the music. Okay. But that's where I was going, but that has, come in very handy for composing chords yeah it's true it's true <laughs> yeah. yeah so if you can think in terms of classical music composition then you can think perfumery I think uh but yeah I was I was wearing Diorella and then I went to work at the ad agency and I then marketing department at the Guardian newspaper I used to set up exhibition stands on all over the place and apart from buying something every time I went through duty-free, I didn't really stop to think much about fragrance. And then I met the people who set up Lush. Yeah. Fast forward. Um, well, I mean, what year, may I ask what year that was? Because it was right at the beginning when they were first starting out, right? Yeah, I, well, I was a customer of Cosmetics To Go, which is their previous company. Okay. And I had to organize a Valentine's Day um, event thing for the Guardian newspaper. They always had lots of printed messages in the paper before there was an internet. Okay. And I mean, literally, we're talking about like 94, 93, 94. And so I was looking for a gift that uh, people could send as a, in a love token. So I got Lush to make the, or the new, what's they called? Uh, they had an interim name, um, but that interim name, I had them make a flat bath bomb that could go in a box and go through a letterbox. Ah, yes. So I ordered 2000 Tisty Tosty bath bombs. They invented them for me oh. with, for the Guardian. 
and kept them in business. In fact, they were about to be shut down. Wow. And um, so they went to the bank with the order for 2000 Tisty Tosties and the bank said, OK, you can you can keep your building. So that was the first time I saved the company. I think I did it three times. Um, so that, <laughs> that happened. I mean, you know, everybody, it's not just me, lots of people individually saved Lush. Um, and so that, that rose was then made for me. I did a master's degree in marketing and corporate strategy, so. specializing in the internet. Interesting. So, yeah. And the, then I was, I was doing some uh, looking at retail. This is before, I mean, the only thing you could buy online at that time was a bunch of flowers in San Francisco. Right. Nothing else. <laughs> Nothing else. Right, I mean, you could, right. you could buy one from London and have it delivered in San Francisco, but it didn't work the other way around. Right. So, I mean, at eBay, it was still just for the bay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I wrote them, uh, you know, a, a paper about where we thought the future of online shopping would be and how technology would work with companies that still wanted to keep themselves looking but not not super techy but um still they were hand making things they, they were how, how could those things two things sit together naturally and the paper that i wrote the the stats that i used got them their funding for expansion so that was number two Oh. times I say the company <laughs> and so they um I I'd asked I contacted my Mark Constantine the MD the founder you know with his family about talking to him so I sent him the paper I heard nothing 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 not no thank for months then I got a phone yeah. call said hi it's Mark can you write and I said yeah he said do you want to write the lush times and I said yes please oh <laughs> that was my interview I love it. I love it. Yeah, because people who have helped the company, they would reward them with work. Yeah. So like they bring them in. It's like somebody yeah. who's prepared to put that much effort in, write a, you know, whatever it was, 20,000 page paper on Lush, would get invited in. And that's how that happened in 96. Uh, after I finished the degree, I then part of the time was then writing the newspaper. So I had to learn how to write about smells in a way that even if I didn't like them, they would appeal to the people who did. Yeah, because I want to talk to you about that because this whole connection between scent and language, right? Most people don't even know how to talk about smells. It's just not natural to us. We, it's not something you learn, you know, you, you, and, and how, did you, how yeah. did you learn to do that? Hmm. That's a good question. I just practiced. I, I wasn't particularly good at identifying individual aromas when I start. I mean, we forget how bad we are when we have no training. Right. And we can speed up and we can get quite good at it. But at the beginning, I wouldn't have been able to tell a cedar wood from a sandalwood, from a hoe wood, from a, right. you know, Betty Bear, anything else. I wouldn't have been able to tell citrus fruits apart. And um, it, it's a bit like you know, the way we, we are taught color, we forget. We think now we just know colors that, oh, that's orange, that's pink. Um, that's right, yeah. But if you see small children and they'll go, there is a red car. And their, their mom goes, um, 
Oh, that's yellow. Oh, there's a yellow pole. And right. it, from a very early age, we learn those things. Exactly. And, uh, you know, describing things, people will describe something as fresh and light if they like it. And in the, in the UK, a bit strong if they don't. <laughs> they, they can't actually bring <laughs> That's your clue. Well. Yeah. Yeah. Only children will say that's horrible. Uh, or old people, actually. I've, yeah, I've had some di very direct feedback from old people who don't <laughs> waste time. Right. Um, <laughs> but otherwise, you know, I've had people describe something. They wanted something deep and dark and heavy. I was making deep, dark, heavy things. And eventually where I say, like, like what? I get, oh, body shop, white moss. And for us, that's quite funny because that's light and fluffy and but in this person's head the word musk meant deep and dark oh so she had taken this little complex journey within her own brain and decided that that meant the smell of body shop white musk was deep and dark huh okay that is weird isn't it yeah i mean it's counterintuitive so now let's put it that way yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's unusual but then i've had somebody i've had a a man smell a tobacco cedar tuberose fragrance I make and said, this is nice and fresh, isn't it? Is it for men? And I said, yes. <laughs> what size would you like? Um, <laughs> if, if he finds it fresh and light, then, you know, I'm not going to tell him he's wrong. Well, I mean, that's a good point. And I talk about this a lot on this podcast with my guests. So let's, let's mention that too, that there's Let's be honest, there's no wrong way to smell, right? Whatever mm. you smell and however you describe it, that's fine. As long as it, it has meaning to you. I mean, I know in the, in the fragrance industry, there's standardized ways of smelling things and things are categorized, as you know, and um, yeah. things are put into boxes. And, and, and I think they probably, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. I worked in the fragrance industry for a long time. They're trying to make it easier for people to hook into certain places. But yeah. at the end of the day, you know, if somebody thinks your, your fragrance is fresh and that's what it means to them and they enjoy that, my God, let them think it's fresh. Exactly, exactly. And it's like, um, you know, small boys I found absolutely adore anything that smells of candy floss. And oh. so you get all these sweet, fruity things and, um, you know, there's this terror of, of flowers in fragrances from some men. Yeah. You know, the idea that if, they, if a flower fragrance touches their skin, the muscles at that point will immediately deteriorate. <laughs> and that's the kind of, you know, the whole, is it for men? Is it for women? But yes, it's for everyone who likes it. And they're yeah. like, oh, we can't wear that one, lad. It's, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's one for girls. Like, it smells like sweets, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh yeah, it's quite nice. So yeah. I, I think there's there's all this funneling into particularly that you have been to a boots the chemist shop if you've been yes, to yes. the UK. You are you are slid into the purple and pink department yes. or the blue and brown department. I think it's got worse. Yeah. You know, oh you'll like this one. When I went in to smell Sauvage on the day of its launch, hoping it would be a bit like old Sauvage, disappointed, but I still wanted to spell it. Yeah, Boots had it as an exclusive, how times have changed. Yeah, And I said, I'd like to smell Sauvage. And the woman just looked at me, she said, it's for men. And I said, I know some men. <laughs> <laughs> why, 
why would you not want you know, even to smell yeah. it? We could have had a chat and I'd have bought a lipstick. Why? You're right. <laughs> it's right. like, you can't have that. Um, but yeah, still, I think the world market is something like 95% divided into men and women. And then you've got the little area I sit in, which is, well, whatever you want. Help yourself. So there's yeah. a lot of work. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of work to be done. Yeah, yeah, it's true. But just getting back to the the language, and, and I mean, if you I think you said you wrote for Lush for 14 years, was it? Yeah. So that's a lot of, I think that's, it's amazing that that'll help you a lot later on in, in your perfumery work, right? So, so you wrote yeah. for them for a long time and, and good for you that you probably expanded the language of, of scent and smell a lot, having to write for 14 years, because you can't just write standard vocabulary no. it's not going to mean anything to someone because they haven't smelled it yet right so you have to describe things in a way as if they were in fact yeah. smelling that scent correct that is exactly what I had to do and also by the time that I left I had like an international team of 18 key writers around the world I mean wow. we we did a workshop once for people who were writing in 11 different languages wow. trying to get people to write uh, our, our tone of voice I defined it as this like it's like having a chat with a customer who's asked you a question uh-huh so if somebody's come up and said oh what, what does that one smell like then how do you describe it? Okay, fine. They can probably pick it up and they can smell it. But um, if they couldn't be there and if they rung you up and said, what's it like? Should I have this one or this one? I said, wow, okay, this one is a bit more like if you're in a flower shop and you're trying to smell the flowers, but they don't really have as much smell as you were expecting. But when they cut the stems, it's sort of all green. That one smells a bit like that. So you try to put people in a situation where they might vaguely be able to conjure up that kind of expectation of an aroma or a, a feeling that you're going to get from it. So it's, this is the kind of thing that you'd imagine if your grandma had taken her best bottle of perfume out of the drawer and put that on, but then she'd gone and peeled a couple of oranges and it's mixed with it. So situations in which people can put themselves and say, Oh, oh, you know what? It does smell a bit like that, doesn't it? Yeah. Plus, otherwise, it's quite hard for people to pick out. If, if an aroma's done well, if, if a fragrance is done well, you shouldn't really all the time be able to pick out obvious bits and pieces from it. Yeah. There's a bit of an obsession these days with the, what's the notes list? Oh, and you get all yeah. these names of scents. Yes. And people read that. And half of them, they don't know what they would smell like even if they did Exactly, smell. yeah. And the other half is made up because there isn't a natural version of it. So, exactly. yeah, a notes list to my favorite bit noir, I think. I take them all and rip them up to shreds. But, you know. It's true. Yeah. But I think people could really learn. If anybody who's listening sells essential oils, for instance, or, you know, has a, a shop online um, because nobody's smelling the essences of the, the essential oils online, um, I think there's a real opportunity because I see them online and they're just such small descriptions, such standard descriptions. And if you, you'd be surprised yeah. how many people don't know what things really smell like in real life. And I think they could really use yeah. more elaborate language around even the most basic smells. 
Yeah, I think so. Just by painting a little bit of a picture, you yeah. know, the kind of place that you would smell this would be. I mean, there's a mosque that you and I probably know, but most people will never have heard of. And it's called Aurelione. Mm -hmm. And it smells like walking into a charity shop. <laughs> it smells like it's like a goodwill like, for us here in the US. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Thanks. It's, they're clean clothes, but they've been hanging about in the back, probably a wooden wardrobe for a number of years. Yeah. They've come out and all together, that smell when you walk in, it's like, yes, yeah. they have acquired a certain, and Aurelio Musk smells just like that. Yeah. And I used it recently in an event with the Courtauld Gallery on a Manet painting. And my hero, Jeremy Della, the artist, was in there and I gave him the strip and he went, charity shops. And I thought, yes, yes they you, were. Know, yeah. you know, yeah. and yet you're never going to get written on a label, a notes list somewhere. This has a bottom, you know, a heart note of charity shop. Um, <laughs> it, it's not going to happen. Um, uh, but yes, it's you know, it's it, it's a cat that's been out rolling in a little bit of mud. Smells a bit like that. Um, some of the descriptions I would use are not necessarily the most beautiful. Well, they're, they're entertaining, but they might not make people want to buy something. Yeah, yeah. Well, entertainment. That's the other thing, of course. Yeah, there's the are you trying to just describe it or are you trying to sell it? That's, that's maybe two different things. You're right. You're right. So if somebody was trying to describe it, not necessarily sell it, but for your everyday person, because I'm trying to also get people to use language a little bit more. Um, yes. Also, I mean, for a selfish reason, also to help people who can't smell so that they can have the experience in a different way. So I try to get people to use it with the other senses. So I'm, I'm always trying yes. to use language with their other four senses. But how Absolutely. would you, what, do you have any advice since you are so, you know, you've done, you did it for 14 years and you continue to do it. So how to describe do, smells. Yeah. Yes. Um, just, first of all, just to allow the mind to wander to the place that this thing takes you. Yeah. Now, and as simple as that. What is it at that place? In fact, we, um, okay, slight plug. I do have a YouTube channel in which Arthur, who comes here and bottles sometimes and films, we just chat about smells I love and it. the places that they take us to. And when we're exploring new materials, like, oh, well, that one, I've got six new citrus fruits to smell when he's in next. Like, but this one is, it is like an orange, but it's like an orange if it's been sitting in the fridge a little bit too long next to the yogurt or, you know, just <laughs> something yeah. you know, that, that it's, it's picked up something and it's thought you, you brought it to work in your bag today and you'd accidentally spilled some perfume last week. So it smells a little bit more vanilla-y than it should. So just those adventures, not worrying about, you know, the, the industry style of glamour yes. and mystique and all that. So it's like, what's it really smell like? Yeah. Um, that just, just stopping and thinking and letting your mind take you to where it goes. Talking about another texture, another um, uh, feeling, I, the sense of touch with perfume, obviously it's not literal, but it's the, the textural feelings yeah. I think that you get from scents. People spend a lot of time describing the smell but there's so much more to it yes so when I'm working with people and they say well I haven't got 
said Rambo, shall I use amber extreme? And so people who've never smelled of these things, they're both kind of woody, ambery smells. They're, they're like um, lovely fresh woods, maybe freshly cut, there's a little bit of resin popping out of them and maybe a little bit of vanilla ice cream next to that as well, that kind of an aroma. But one of them is very, very, very much in the background. And the other one will smack you in the face. And when you think you're finished, it'll smack you again before you've taken your breath. And that's what I think Amber Extreme is like. And said Amber is just more like a like, nice floaty cloud of Amber. Mm. So if someone says to me, I don't have said Amber, shall I use Amber Extreme? It's like, no. <laughs> the description on the website is practically the same. Oh, it smells of Amber and Bloods. And, yeah. But texturally um you know one is like being smacked with a plank and the other one is sitting down on you know, landing in a cushion of sawdust yeah um but like if you want something you're making some clothing and you want a pocket on and you've got this instruction says use red corduroy velvet and you think well i've got some red i've got red satin i'll make a pocket out of that like no just because it's red Yes. It won't work. So in constructing fragrances, I'm constantly trying to get people to learn how they behave as well as how they smell. Because I, I just red is not good enough. Like just orange is not good enough. It has to be, you know, is it light and fresh and, or, or is, it, is it darker and deeper and heavier and that, all of that stuff I find fascinating. I also love getting people to think about it as people and personalities. Yes, completely. I do that all the time. Yes, you're yeah. absolutely right. Because um, it's an extension I'm, of what you've said. I mean, you've already been saying yeah. it, but it's also, you know, is this somebody who's going to walk into a room and command the room? I always think of these heady florals that way, right? Versus somebody who's a little bit more shy and timid. And, and, and you have to think about that in perfumery and how you're going to blend. Correct? Yeah, yeah, I, I I have, uh, <laughs> if you look back, you would find that I've also said this, I'm not stealing it off you, because my oh, no, no. is my Aunt May. I mean, I think it's a great way to think about it. Of course, I thought I'd done it first, because uh, hundreds of people will be thinking the exact same thing. Yeah. But Bergamot is my Auntie May, because <laughs> Auntie May would, she'd come, she'd come into an event and she'd look around and she said, who hasn't got a cup of tea? Why would you like a cup of tea? But she'd make sure that people met people and that everyone had a nice cup of tea and no one was out of place. And if someone was making too much noise, she'd just take them outside and calm them down. And I feel that Bergamot does that within a perfume. You hardly yeah. notice it's there. It's like, why should I put it in? I can hardly smell it. It disappears. Like, no, but uh -uh. it's being anti-May. So, yes. yeah. Yes. It's, it's, <laughs> And it'll help you remember that too, as you're blending, if you start to create these personalities for your individual oils, I think it's, it's a great little trick, so to speak, if you, and it, it gets you to yeah. connect with it. And even in your head, when I just think bergamot, I have my person in my head, you know, without even yeah. smelling it just because I've smelled yeah. it so many times and have created that story in my head about what that um, particular yeah. note smells like. So yeah, it's a great little yeah. trick. You're right. And then you can also start thinking, thinking, do I add this to this competition composition? I think, oh, she would make such a noise. She would spoil it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you just think, no, yeah. Even a drop. Oh, I need yeah, yeah. 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 Just no. <laughs> I 
I want to talk a little bit about your books because you are not only somebody who's written for Lush, but you started to write your own books. And I think the first one, tell me if I'm wrong, but I think you wrote a novel, The Scent of Possibility, right? I did, yes. When I decided that I deserved a year off after, I said, basically 40 years nonstop from school, you know, I decided I would... Um, try and live on some of my savings for a year and try not to work. Didn't work, I still did some work, but I decided when to work. Yes. It, it, a big luxury. So I took some time and I wanted to write this novel and it was about a perfumer who made fragrances to remind people of happy times and places to get them through their like, you know, first world problems um, and to just bring them, center them, ground them, bring them back to somewhere happy and calm, just by reminding them of something lovely. And it was going to be a, a set of short stories, each one for each fragrance, but it, the way it worked is that the perfumer in it worked by personal recommendation. And so all these people started getting tangled into a novel. Ah. And then it was all building up and I couldn't work out what was gonna, was gonna do next. So, you know, you just have to sit there and think, well, what would he do? Uh, oh, and, and what's the kind of thing she would, oh, she would do that. Oh, right. Yes. So um, it, it happened. I keep thinking about writing another one because this was sort of 2010. And I, I am genuinely wondering what these people are up to in the meantime. Because I, <laughs> you I, should I do like a follow them. up. Yes, yes. Yeah. But I, I sort of, I sort of almost turned myself into the perfumer in the book because, except, you know, she's younger and thinner and prettier than me. but. Um, She'll do. And she was making all these fragrances that I couldn't buy. I was going to write a list of them at the back of the book and say, you can smell this one. It smells like that. And nobody was making the fragrances I was describing. So I thought, like a numpty, I know, I'll make them. Yeah. So that's, that's what kicked everything off. I had to just go and find out how to make them. So, and how do you go about doing that? Because there's a lot of people who probably want to make perfume, become a perfumer. So how did you go about doing that? Yeah, well, I'd say it's a little bit easier now than it was 12 years ago. Yeah. Because there's so much more information available widely. But there's awful lot of information available widely will not help you at all. Yeah. There's a lot of misinformation. But at least I had a big collection of essential oils. I had 200 books that I'd acquired. I, I bought every single book that came out on wow. perfumery or essential oils or lots of them were duplicates. But sometimes I'd buy a book just for one sentence of inspiration to, to go into the next Lush Times. And yeah, because, you know, I wrote 230,000 words over the 14 years, I think we were. Wow. So yeah, quarter of a million words. And every time I had to rewrite a product, I had to write something new. I couldn't just use the same copy over and over again. Some issues had 300 products. So sometimes I would just buy a book, might not even be about perfume, just a sentence would leap out at me. I think I can, I can use that idea. Yeah. That's, that's great what they're doing. I'll, you know, not quoting, but just, just to get something new going. So I had all of these things. I theoretically I knew how to make perfume, didn't I? Except, of course, it's so secret. So then I had to discover about synthetics. Ah, and yes. <laughs> uh, there's an excellent teacher over here called Karen Gilbert, 
who gets lots of people started in perfumery in the UK. Mm-hmm. And my husband, Nick, bought me her half day with synthetics course. Oh, nice. Just so I could get in the same room as the blinking things, because at the time it was almost impossible to get hold of anything. Yes. Um, so then I just, I, I pretty much set off very minimalist with about 50 naturals and 10 synthetics and made my first six fragrances with those. Um, just lots of blending, lots of experimenting, lots of seeing what happened, lots of mistakes, some good. Um, and I know these days it's like, oh, no, you can't start doing it until you've smelt at least a thousand materials. But then when you're going to start. Right. So that's a I great think the tip. artisan way is it's not the classical way. And I know that through music. Classical way is you learn all these scales and all your arpeggios and get all your studies. And then you can play a good piece of music. Then you get interviewed for an orchestra. Yeah. It kind of goes like that with perfume school. Yes. But if you get a guitar and you sit in the garage and you just strum a few chords and you maybe get a little bit better at it and you can play one song. Cool. You yeah. play your song to your friend. And it's like us with like one perfume. Oh, I've made a perfume. I'm going to tell all my friends. You can start bit by bit, learn step by step. You don't have to be able to make all the perfumes. You just have to be able to make the ones you want to. And you might surprise yourself. Uh, whereas, you know, you worked in the industry. The industry is, no, you can't get a job until you've learned how to make all the perfumes. Exactly. And then, so you wrote that novel, and now you've actually co-written another book, The Perfume Companion, The Definitive Guide to Choosing Your Next Scent. So how did you come about writing that? Yes, that took about five, six years to get organized. Um, I have a friend who's an editor, and she approached me and said, how about we put together a proposal for a perfume book? And so we did, we, so when you have to do a book proposal, you write the introduction, some sample chapters, they take it to book fairs and see if they can get a publisher for it. So it's, 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 it's like a process. lots of other, yeah, <laughs> creative ideas. And, uh, but the, the publisher who was thinking about it at the time wanted to make it your signature scent. And I didn't want to make it your signature scent because I think that's, not really such a big thing these days yeah. people don't just want that the one that everyone recognizes you by we that's it, a bit like only ever wearing the same shoes and the same suit yeah. all the time some people have that look um some people don't so i wanted it to be wider anyway that sank without trace but it obviously went into somebody's files because then I got a phone call like a year later from somebody saying, oh, uh, we, we want to do this again. So I wrote a new proposal and I just might make sure everybody knows that this doesn't just drop into your lap. But I had been invited to write the proposal because they thought I'd be good for it. Because basically, if you've got someone who's an ex-writer who makes perfumes, you'd, be the, you'd want that person to write your book. Yes, probably. exactly. Uh, except it was a bit busy. So anyway, I wrote the proposal. It went back and forth a couple of times. It disappeared without price again. And then that company said, oh, I know. I think we won't sell it. We'll publish it ourselves. So back we go. List of 500 fragrances. And I thought, I can't, I can't write all of this. Well, and then they said, you know, do you want to write the book? I said, no. <laughs> I 
I don't have time to do that. You're kidding me. Um, and uh, I said, how about I ask my friend help? <laughs> so I asked Sam Scriven, who uh, writes the blog, I sent you today. Um, uh, because her style is very different from mine and she loves lots of floral musks that I probably wouldn't have chosen to put in. And her, her uh, experience of fragrances is this kind of different end from mine. Good. So, and, and she's much more about, oh, imagine you're in 1890s Paris being driven in a carriage. To, and I'm much more like, imagine you're on a double-decker bus riding through London. <laughs> mine, mine are kind of much more about sort of down to earth. And someone yeah. comes upstairs and says, wow, that's an amazing smell. So mine are really kind of not romantic at all. And Sam's are. Okay. And so we, mine are much more practical. Uh, and I try always to get at least one joke in every well, something yes, you to make do. people laugh. <laughs> I do. Um, well, that's my life. So uh, it worked really well. I had to get Sam to trim hers down because she's accustomed to blog posts. It's about 4,000 words. Like, mate, you've got 150 words. Okay. Right. <laughs> Put the important stuff in. <laughs> so, But then I, I'm accustomed to training teams of writers. So... I just, you know, I said, no, you're my friend, but you've got to do what I say. Uh, she took it very well. <laughs> oh, good, good, good. Yeah, so we, uh, but we didn't want to put things in that are discontinued or long lost or, you know, things that people would long for and couldn't have. We thought that was mean. And hardly anything in that was expensive. So it was a directory. If you like a rose, okay, here's the rose you should have. It's Paul Smith rose. And here are some other roses you might consider a rarer one, one for if you've got the budget, really good value one, and one that's a bit weird. That yeah. sort of thing. That was our proposal. You know, here's the stat, here's a like a good reference. Now here's all the others around it. So to get people to perhaps recognize their own style. Which and, I think is is perfect because people get lost. They don't know where to start. And so they always go to the safe standard ones, even though that might not be their personality, right? Yeah, or they, they, they'll just get the one that they've seen on television or the one that when they yeah. walk into the shop, it's got the big ads up and everybody. And, you know, most modern perfumes are really quite nice. Yeah. <laughs> but you, you don't disappear off into the realms of the interesting. That's why it's called the companion, because the idea is you take it perfume shopping with you. Yes. And, well, I like that. What else might I like? Yeah. Okay, let's try that one. So it's like having a, a well-informed friend along with you. That's wonderful. So great. I'm going to put that in the show notes so that people can check that book out. And also your novel. I want people to consider that. <laughs> yeah, I would kind of like, I must, well, we self-published it eventually because, you know, I, I lost interest in, in writing that. I got so interested in making the aromas. And then people would say to me, oh, I'd like one that smells of this. That would make me happy. And so off I went. So I also want to talk a little bit about your company, 4160 Tuesdays, which is a name I love. And you have to explain to everybody how that name came. What, what does it mean, first of all? And then how did that name come about? I was in the, the internet game you know, way back <laughs> when I wrote that degree. I uh, was like half a percent of the population of the UK was online. Okay. And we're still doing dialogue. So I was an internet pioneer. So I, I had, I own sarahmccartney.com and little Max, which 
the band Little Mix wanted to buy at one point. I should have sold them it, but never mind. That's why they're called Little Mix instead of Little Max. I'm not kidding. Oh, wow. Um, and they... <laughs> uh, uh, money I have lost. It, however, um, I also registered this domain name to write a blog about not wasting your life because 4,160 Tuesdays make 80 years. And so it's not a street number. It's um, it, it's not even the style of Doc Martin's boots. Well, apparently it is, but it's uh, 4,160 weeks make 80 years. And it was an, a kind of homage to a yoga teacher of mine who at the age of 80, started every day with a 10-minute headstand and a 10-minute shoulder balance. She'd had five children. She was a cycling champion, but she liked the look of Mr. Biggs, who was a cyclist, and she, the only way she could catch him was by getting better than him. So she she rode him down, married him. Um, really? And she was wow. just a wonderful woman, and she lived till she was 80, and she didn't seem to have wasted a second of it. So I just was writing this blog about not wasting your life. And when it came to setting up the business, I thought, well, if I Googled Sarah McCartney, you know, it said, do you mean Stella? And I mm -hmm. thought, well, I don't really want to do that. You know? yeah, yeah. So I'll call it the other one that I owe. Um, and still somewhere online was the 4,160 Tuesdays instructions for knitting a really big sweater that means you can have the heating down by five degrees. There's all kinds of <laughs> stuff that I was working on. Um, <laughs> Like so I had to save the planet by uh, wearing thicker clothes. I was that was that was one project. I might go back to it, but I owned it, so I turned it into that. That is that is the story. And oh. then sometimes I get to the front of the book because people put numbers before A in the alphabet. Oh, there you go. See, yeah, but sometimes the back. It depends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but so never the middle. Right, 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 right. So in in you said 4160 Tuesdays or 4160 Tuesdays do you is that business mostly your perfumery work or does it also include your workshops because yeah, I know you also do workshops yes I call the workshop thing enthusiasm. okay tm mine um but that's just in case I ever want to separate them out you know if can I ever get to retire and maybe just do the workshops and have somebody yeah. else make the perfumes. I'm not sure. Um, but mostly it all lives in this one building and it's all owned by 4,160 Tuesdays. Um, okay. But yeah, the workshops are all held upstairs from here. Um, so they're live uh, in person, I, right? Uh, they are at the moment. We had six last week for London Craft Week. Wow. So, yeah, we had people in. We've you know, it's drafty. We can open the windows. I used to have 12 people in the room and I now have six and I just space them out a bit more. And actually, I like it better with six people in the room. It's less pressure and I'm less exhausted at the end of the day, even if it only earns half the money. Sometimes there's more to life. That's and correct. Yes. I can also smell better if there's less noise. We all can. Yeah, know that this sometimes I can't smell a thing if everyone's chatting. I can't do Hindus. Right. People ask me to do perfume hen parties, and it's just <laughs> which are bachelor parties for for those in the U.S. Sorry. <laughs> oh right, yes, that okay. 
bachelorette parties i should say bachelorette yes yes we have stag do's and hen do's um (laughs) bachelorette parties yes no it's just too noisy uh but yes it's 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 lovely to meet new people again and introduce people to the whole concept of how you actually can put things together and make something that smells completely different from the separate components yeah yeah it's so nice to be live and in person again I mean you have something online too which is great a a patreon I do that one I really wanted to make perfume making affordable by sharing the cost so people can subscribe for I think it's something like it's either $15 or $13 if it's US, it's £10 or £20 UK. And in a month, you get a number of Zooms. Depend- I, I keep setting them up for different time zones because I have people from everywhere. Yeah. And formulas. And there's, then there's, we've got a Facebook group. And then we do the films. I also put a lot of films on YouTube, but if you subscribe, you don't have to watch the ads and you ah, get extras good so it's i yeah uh, you know there are a lot of places where you can pay three thousand dollars for the year and it's exclusive and i don't like excluding people i like yeah. inclusive so i think exclusive has it has two meanings but neither of them are good right right <laughs> and, yeah one means it costs a lot of money and the other one means we don't want you so I wanted the inclusive um but not to the point where people would take the mickey but technically people can just they can pay their 20 dollars download all the formulas and then cancel again if they want but it's more important to me to share than it is you know to try and earn squeeze money out of people and I don't want anyone to be unhappy with it some are but not many that's great we'll put that in the show notes too so I wanted to talk about our connection to fifth sense for a minute because you and I are both involved with that I wish I was closer I'd be even more involved if I was actually in the UK but um how did you decide well let's explain fifth sense is a UK-based charity that helps people with smell and taste dysfunction, um, right? Yeah. And so what made you decide to start working with them? I was at the IFRA annual fragrance forum. In the UK, IFRA runs this wonderful event. And even before I was a full member of IFRA, I would, I would pay and go because they always get in really interesting researchers, really uh, fascinating papers in a, a certain area. Last year, it was it was actually about language and scent as well, which was mm. fascinating. How, how yeah. other cultures can identify scents much more easily than we can. Talking yes. about words and fragrances, we tend to think about that in English. In lots of other languages, it's completely different yes. the way people are talked about fragrances. So we mustn't forget about that. Assume everyone's us, but. Um, so Duncan, Duncan Boak, now CEO of um, Fifth Sense, he spoke at that event and he just remembers me just barreling up to him and going, how can I help? I want to help. I've got a perfumery. I've got stuff. What can I do? What yeah. do you need? Yeah. <laughs> so that's yeah, that's, nice. that's, uh, that's how I got involved. So did you already know a lot of, a lot about 
anosmia and that community and what they were going through? Like, were you connected with that? Because I wasn't, to be quite honest, I'm going to be very honest, most of my life, I just assumed people could smell and I've, I've been open about that. And I'm ashamed of that. But it's it's true. I didn't really realize, you know, people. Well, it smell. was only genuinely only when I started to sort of make perfume if, and if you bring perfume into a conversation like that I found that people who had smell disorders or no sense of smell at all would say I can't smell anything mm. and would tell me because I think they knew I would think it was important because until recent times people who hadn't got a sense of smell would be told well you know that doesn't make much difference does it yeah People who so they, they didn't realize, yeah. Yeah, they didn't realize how important it is in flavor in what you eat and how people who've lost their sense of smell think they can't taste anything. Everything tastes funny. Everything tastes so disappointing at first. So I would have people just say that to me kind of randomly. And I started to realize there were a lot more people than I thought there were who couldn't smell things. And that's when I started hearing stories about no longer feeling comfortable, no longer realizing that your friends liked you. Had to be people having to be sort of brought out of their shell a little bit when you see them again, because they are uncertain in that, that atmosphere where I was talking about, they can't detect the atmosphere. A friend of mine recently talked about it like being watching something on the screen instead of being in the room with them. Ah. So I, I, was, I was getting together a little bit of awareness. Yeah put it like that and I still find you know if I say oh I might perfume people will randomly just say oh I can't smell anything wow so whereas it doesn't yeah it doesn't normally come up in conversation but I there's one thing I really did notice quite early if if a man and a woman I say a couple were coming up shopping and quite often women would just say oh he can't smell anything at all and man would go no I can't and I started to ask if they'd played a lot of sports as children and it's rugby it's like the oh. UK equivalent of um you know American football yeah but yeah. without the helmets on yeah and there's a lot of head smacking in rugby and I think a lot of boys lose their sense of smell in teenage years or a lot of men have done I think maybe they're safer now but mm-hmm. I I think there's been a lot of people just don't realize that they've lost their sense of smell no, they're just, it, it's just how they live their life and they don't. Yeah. So these yeah. teenage boys never knew how bad their socks actually smelled. Right. No idea how, how terrible their rooms were when their mom went, moms went in and went, do you know how bad this is? No, no they really genuinely didn't. Yeah. I think there's a lot, lot more out there than realize. It's true. But it's, it's, you know, 10, 20, 30 years since they lost it. They didn't know. Right, right, right. So, uh, but yeah, <laughs> that happened. So tell everybody about, which I love this story, tell everybody about the parosmia perfume you made. Yes, Paradox. Um, in fact, I saw Louise Willem, whose perfume this is, just last week oh, at, at an event. We were sitting next to each other uh, because my book was nominated for an award and her piece about Enosmia was, uh, Parosmia was nominated for an award as well. We didn't win, but we didn't mind. We sat next to each other. <laughs> so, Louise lost her sense of smell from a virus. Okay. But what, years ago, 2014, maybe. Um, and this was a, a bad cold and it just, it went. And as it started coming back, she had 
quite nasty per osmosis. She was getting you know, everything basically smelled of poo. You know, she wow. got that vanilla coffee stuff just smelled horrible. Um, and she went to the Osmotech on a trip to Versailles to the, the Paris um, Museum of Perfumes. And she smelled a few things and she'd written a Twitter post that said, well, now I found out I can accurately, I can smell iron-owns, musks and citrus fruits. All I need is somebody make me a perfume that smells of those. So I, typical me, I just went, I'll make it. You know, come over, I'll do it. I already knew her because she was a perfume blogger. Yeah. So I knew her from, from that. And of course, for somebody who was writing about perfume, perfume and lipstick, it was really devastating for her because she'd already trained her nose to do all kinds of things. You know, she had a well-performing nose. So she came over and I made this fragrance called Paradox, perfume for a perosmic. And it was citrus roots and quite an intense green violet leaf smell and musks. And she, she's a very witty, very sarcastic person. She's British humor. If I'm 80%, she's at 95. Oh, wow. And yeah, the pair of us together, we're like, we scare people, you know, <laughs> so, but she's great. And so she practically burst into tears and said it was the most lovely thing anybody would ever done. And then she said, and I'm never going to act like this again. <laughs> She sent me a beautiful scarf with irises on it and citrus fruits, which I still Aww, have. And so she could wear it. We had to make something that she could wear that smelled good to her. And also her husband thought smelled good on her too. Okay. She used to go for rich ambers with lots of vanilla and spices. She couldn't have them anywhere near her. Yeah. So this is a very unusual departure for her. And it's quite an unusual perfume, let's say. Okay. But it still exists. And then we've since since then we made another one called Parallel, oh, which nice. is this was as she started to get parts of her sense of smell back, we moved more into the kind of thing that she likes. So it's kind of a black peppery, rosy thing. Nice. But we never got round to launching it. So last week we decided that we would So people can buy it. It's, yeah. It's, it's not exclusive to her. Okay. Okay, I wasn't sure no, if it was no, a no, custom-made no. perfume for her or if it was... Well, it was, but we sold it to raise money for Fifth Sense. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, so that, that's why we decided that we would, that we would do it. Okay. Um, but it was so weird that we didn't sell that much, but... Uh, but well, let's bring the awareness uh, out there. <laughs> exactly. It exists. Uh, yeah. Yes, it exists. And yeah, the new one, Parallel... Um, we know literally last Thursday night at big events dinner, we decided to launch it. It's probably a good thing we're talking because I might have just forgotten. She'd have <laughs> reminded me, you know, like, yes, let's launch a perfume. Way, win some awards. Um, so, yeah, but we're going we're gonna to do that. Excellent. Excellent. We'll put that information down too. Yeah, it's one of those things that contains materials which do not trigger that opposite response to what they're supposed to smell like. That was what was important. All right, so we've come to the end. <laughs> right. 
I always like to ask um, my guests a few questions at the end. I sent you those questions. I don't know if you had a chance to review them, but um, love to learn yeah. more about you. And one of the things, the first thing I always ask is, what's your favorite smell right now? It can be any smell. It doesn't have to be perfume. Just what smell fanc- you know, fancies you right now? My current favorite smell is that palm tree next door. Oh. It's, it's the small white flowers wafting all the way down the street in the local area I live, um, which if I captured it, I probably even wouldn't wear it because I'm not a very white flower perfume sort of a person. But that for me is just the smell of, oh, thank goodness, I'm going to be able to wear a T-shirt. I hate being cold. Summer is back. It means a great deal. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Um, great. And do you have a favorite scent memory that you want to share? The scent memory I'll go for that I was thinking about is that I bought one of those expensive school pencil sharpeners with a handle that you, you grind it around. So you oh, get I love those. That yes. yes, I was in Berlin for the Art and Olfaction Awards and there's a Faber-Castell shop and you could buy a proper school grindy pencil sharpener. And so I bought it. And as soon as I put the pencil in it and started doing the pencil shavings it's not just the aroma because I knew I knew that pencils are made of Virginian cedar and they have that smell but the aroma plus the noise it's like bang straight yes. into junior school in front on the teacher's desk and I got to they do the pencils and then you start putting together the things like that time I got told off for sharpening a pencil all the way down till it was only an inch long you know <laughs> the thing that the naughty children were supposed to do and they would have thought better of me so I think it's it's not even just the smell it's when you start putting together the other inputs so the smell plus the sound that's my I just do it I just I would just sharpen pencils all day okay. Completely agree. And one of the things that's really sad is children nowadays do not sharpen pencils. Like if I put Virginian cedar wood in, under their nose, they don't make that association because a lot of them are mechanical pencils or they're just typing into a computer. They're not even using a pencil anymore. It's kind of sad. It is. It is. We'll have to introduce them to those <laughs> lovely, lovely US boxes of pencils. Uh, anyway. And then I... I always like to hear this um what are five smells that would best describe you can't wait to hear this one from you okay okay (laughs) my five smells it it sort of reminds me there's this wonderful television program taking the mickey out of influencers and this man was asked what would you have in your perfume i'm gonna have my favorite perfume he said he wanted bacon earth and ck1 which i think is I know it, it was obviously a joke. It was like, it's just the funniest program. Genuinely, if it ever, it's BBC, if it gets over, okay. it's called Like, Please Like. Okay. So, uh, but on that note, uh, my favorite smells would be, I would go for the Virginian cedar and I want black currant because I always had, it's a very British thing, you know, drinking Ribena yes. as a child, black currant squash. And I know now why you can't have black currants because they have a disease which infects some U.S. trees. So you can't grow them in the U.S. Yes, yes. It's Europe only. So um, cedar, black currant, that orange blossom from up my nose from earlier. <laughs> um, roses. 
and Diorella okay. in the spirit of the, <laughs> the blogger who would. Yeah. So, um, uh, but it, given that Diorella is cheating, then it's chocolate. So I'm going to make a Virginian cedar, orange blossom, rose, black currant chocolate fragrance. Ooh, and that's Sarah McCartney. Wonderful. That's it. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's make it. <laughs> the scent of Sarah. Yeah, yeah. Four thousand one hundred and sixty-two days. Summer special extreme. Um. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, Sarah, thank you so much for joining me. It's been such a, so much fun, and I love to talk to you. I hope we get to do it again sometime. Thanks for being here. Absolute pleasure. I can't wait to do it again. Thank you for joining me on An Aromatic Life. If you're interested in learning more about your sense of smell from all different perspectives, subscribe to the podcast and invite your friends too. And it would be really helpful if you could rate the podcast so it helps others find it too. I also invite you to check out my website, falkaromatherapy.com, where you'll find information about workshops, courses, and other programs I offer. And make sure you grab my free audio training, How to Smell to Be Well, which you can download from my website. Until next time, remember to smell everything and have a wonderful day.